Chapter Fifty Six: Divorce. In the youthful mind, marriage is clothed with romance, and it is difficult to divest it of this feature, with which imagination covers it, and to impress the mind with a sense of the weighty responsibilities involved in the marriage vow. This vow links the destinies of the two individuals with bonds which naught but the hand of death should sever. Every marriage engagement should be carefully considered, for marriage is a step taken for life. Both the man and the woman should carefully consider whether they can cleave to each other through the vicissitudes of life, as long as they both shall live. Jesus corrected misconceptions of marriage. Among the Jews, a man was permitted to put away his wife for the most trivial offenses, and the woman was then at liberty to marry again. This practice led to great wretchedness and sin. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus declared plainly that there could be no dissolution of the marriage tie, except for unfaithfulness to the marriage vow. Everyone. He said, "That putteth away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, maketh her an adulteress. And whosoever shall marry her, when she is put away, committeth adultery." When the Pharisees afterward questioned him concerning the lawfulness of divorce. Jesus pointed his hearers back to the marriage institution, as ordained at creation. Because of the hardness of your hearts, he said, Moses suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. He referred them to the blessed days of Eden, when God pronounced all things. Very good. Then marriage and the Sabbath had their origin, twin institutions for the glory of God, in the benefit of humanity. Then, as the Creator joined the hands of the holy pair in wedlock, saying, "A man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one." He enunciated the law of marriage for all the children of Adam to the close of time. That which the Eternal Father Himself had pronounced good was the law of highest blessing and development for man. Jesus came to our world to rectify mistakes and to restore the moral image of God in man. Wrong sentiments. In regard to marriage, had found a place in the minds of the teachers of Israel. They were making of non-effect the sacred institutions of marriage. Man was becoming so hard-hearted that he would, for the most trivial excuse, separate from his wife, or if he chose, he would separate her from the children and send her away. 
This was considered a great disgrace and was often accompanied by the most acute suffering on the part of the discarded one. Christ came to correct these evils, and his first miracle was wrought on the occasion of the marriage. Thus he announced to the world that marriage, when kept pure and undefiled, is a sacred institution. Counsel to One Contemplating Divorce Your ideas in regard to the marriage relation have been erroneous. Nothing but the violation of the marriage bed can either break or annul the marriage vow. We are living in perilous times when there is no assurance in anything save in firm, unwavering faith in Jesus Christ. There is no heart that may not be estranged from God through the devices of Satan if one does not watch unto prayer. Your health would have been in a far better condition had your mind been at peace and rest, but it became confused and unbalanced, and you reasoned incorrectly in regard to the matter of divorce. Your views cannot be sustained on the ground from which you reason. Men are not at liberty to make a standard of law for themselves, to avoid God's law and please their own inclination. They must come to God's great moral standard of righteousness. God gave only one cause why a wife should leave her husband or the husband leave his wife which was adultery. Let this ground be prayerfully considered. Advice to a separated couple. My brother, my sister, for some time you have not been living together. You should not have pursued this course and would not have done so if both of you had been cultivating the patience, kindness, and forbearance that should ever exist between husband and wife. Neither of you should set up your own will and try to carry out your individual ideas and plans, whatever the consequences may be. Neither of you should be determined to do as you please. Let the softening, subduing influence of the Spirit of God work upon your hearts and fit you for the work of training your children. Appeal to your Heavenly Father to keep you from yielding to the temptation to speak in an impatient, harsh, willful manner to each other, the husband to the wife and the wife to the husband. Both of you have imperfect characters. Because you have not been under God's control, your conduct toward each other has been unwise. I beseech you to bring yourselves under God's control. When tempted to speak provokingly, refrain from saying anything. You will be tempted on this point because you have never overcome this objectionable trait of character. But every wrong habit must be overcome. Make a complete surrender to God. Fall on the rock, Christ Jesus, and be broken. 
as husband and wife. Discipline yourselves. Go to Christ for help. He will willingly supply you with His divine sympathy, His free grace. Repent before God for your past course. Come to an understanding and reunite as husband and wife. Put away the disagreeable, unhappy experience of your past life. Take courage in the Lord. Close the windows of the soul earthward and open them heavenward. If your voices are uplifted in prayer to heaven for light, the Lord Jesus, who is light and life, peace and joy, will hear your cry. He, the Son of Righteousness, will shine into the chambers of your mind, lighting up the soul temple. If you welcome the sunshine of His presence into your home, you will not utter words of a nature to cause feelings of unhappiness. To a hopelessly mistreated wife, I have received your letter. And in reply to it, I would say, I cannot advise you to return to D unless you see decided changes in him. The Lord is not pleased with the ideas he has had in the past of what is due to a wife. If he holds to his former views, the future would be no better for you than the past has been. He does not know how to treat a wife. I feel very sad about this matter. I feel indeed sorry for D, but I cannot advise you to go to him against your judgment. I speak to you as candidly as I spoke to him. It would be perilous for you to again place yourself under his dictation. I had hoped that he would change. The Lord understands all about your experiences. Be of good courage in the Lord. He will not leave you nor forsake you. My heart goes out in tenderest sympathy for you. To a deserted husband, shoulder your cross. I cannot see what more can be done in this case, and I think that the only thing that you can do is to give up your wife. If she is thus determined not to live with you, both she and you would be most miserable to attempt it. And as she has fully and determinedly set her stakes, you can only shoulder your cross and show yourself a man. Still married in God's sight, although divorced, a woman may be legally divorced from her husband by the laws of the land and yet not divorced in the sight of God and according to the higher law. There is only one sin which is adultery which can place the husband or wife in a position where they can be free from the marriage vow in the sight of God. Although the laws of the land may grant a divorce, yet they are husband and wife still in the Bible light according to the laws 
of God. I saw that Sister blank as yet has no right to marry another man. But if she, or any other woman, should obtain a divorce legally on the ground that her husband was guilty of adultery, then she is free to be married to whom she chooses. Separation from an unbelieving companion. If the wife is an unbeliever and an opposer, the husband cannot, in view of the law of God, put her away on this ground alone. In order to be in harmony with the law of Jehovah, he must abide with her unless she chooses of herself to depart. He may suffer opposition and be oppressed and annoyed in many ways. He will find his comfort and his strength and support from God, who is able to give grace for every emergency. He should be a man of pure mind, of truly decided firm principles, and God will give him wisdom in regard to the course which he should pursue. Impulse will not control his reason, but reason will hold the lines of control in her firm hand that lust shall be held under bit and bridle. A wife urged to change disposition, not the marriage status. I have received a letter from your husband. I would say that there is only one thing for which a husband may lawfully separate from his wife or a wife from her husband, and that is adultery. If your dispositions are not congenial, would it not be for the glory of God for you to change these dispositions? A husband and wife should cultivate respect and affection for each other. They should guard the spirit, the words, and the actions so that nothing will be said or done to irritate or annoy. Each is to have a care for the other, doing all in their power to strengthen their mutual affection. I tell you both to seek the Lord. In love and kindness do your duty one to the other. The husband should cultivate industrious habits, doing his best to support his family. This will lead his wife to have respect for him. My sister, you cannot please God by maintaining your present attitude. Forgive your husband. He is your husband, and you will be blessed in striving to be a dutiful, affectionate wife. Let the law of kindness be on your lips. You can and must change your attitude. You must both study how you can assimilate instead of differing with one another. The use of mild, gentle methods will make a surprising difference in your lives. Divorce and Church Membership In regard to the case of the injured sister, A.G., we would say in reply to the questions of blank, 
that it is a feature in the cases of most who have been overtaken in sin, as her husband has, that they have no real sense of their villainy. Some, however, do and are restored to the church, but not till they have merited the confidence of the people of God by unqualified confessions and a period of sincere repentance. This case presents difficulties not found in some, and we would add only the following. Number one, in cases of the violation of the seventh commandment, where the guilty party does not manifest true repentance, if the injured party can obtain a divorce without making their own cases and that of their children, if they have them, worse by so doing, they should be free. Number two, if they would be liable to place themselves and their children in worse condition by a divorce, we know of no scripture that would make the innocent party guilty by remaining. Number three, time and labor and prayer and patience and faith and a godly life might work a reform. To live with one who has broken the marriage vows and is covered all over with the disgrace and shame of guilty love and realizes it not is an eating canker to the soul, and yet a divorce is a lifelong heartfelt sore. God pity the innocent party. Marriage should be considered well before contracted. Number four, why? Oh, why will men and women who might be respectable and good and reach heaven at last sell themselves to the devil so cheap, wound their bosom friends, disgrace their families, bring a reproach upon the cause, and go to hell at last. God have mercy. Why will not those who are overtaken in crime manifest repentance proportionate to the enormity of their crime and fly to Christ for mercy and heal as far as possible the wounds they have made? 